This time on Watchers of Tomorrow, Tasha gets a penalty. Watchers of Tomorrow, the sci-fi review and critique show that wants to give you a gift we know you'd like. My name is Gep, and I'm joined, as always, by my friend and co-host, Dr. Izix. Hi! And we're back. We're back to Star Trek. This mm-hmm. movie, now uh, Star Trek, one of the weird, weird ones. I like it, but it's one of the weirder yeah. ones. <laughs> it is quirky and kind of fun, but also, yeah, there's some stuff going on here, I suppose. <laughs> Uh, this is one of the first episodes of Next Gen that started the penchant for reoccurring characters. Indeed. Because um, that was something that we had in the original series, but it wasn't very common in older mm-hmm. television. This was something that was becoming more common in like the you know 70s, 80s, and then definitely into the 90s, where you would have more and more side characters uh Especially with shows that had more of an ensemble cast, I think like mm-hmm. like sitcoms like Cheers and things that had a lot of reoccurring characters that even like spun off into their own shows, kind of set a premise for this kind of thing where side characters would keep coming back, and then you'd like the side character and look forward to that episode, even though characters like this, the second appearance of Q, he was in a lot of episodes, but only like you know seven or eight total out of yes. <laughs> you know seven seasons of runtime he's a memorable character and uh has fun interactions with the crew and is something out of the norm as far as you know with the rest of tng generally you know there's occasional gi- big giant heads floating around but you know but uh, he's q he is his own thing yeah and they keep fleshing out his storyline so like q has a, has a whole story arc that happens over his iterations going mm-hmm. through the show and this really sets more of the tone for that because he shows up as a slightly comic one notish sort of villain in the first episode mm-hmm. like he's good and i like him but if you didn't know anything about his character from later he'd be kind of like a one note throwaway villain it's like oh there's just this you know weird powerful being out there that's all being all judgy but wait he's back what <laughs> yeah and this is when you really get his sort of trickster imp character Mm -hmm. is like i'm going to mess with people for fun kind of character and he's just enjoying himself instead of the original one where he's supposed to be set up as this like i will judge humanity for its crimes type of person Mm -hmm. which is a little more serious in in sort of scope there so this is of course the episode hide and q which also starts the tradition of naming q episodes something with q in the title Yes, uh, not all of them end up with Q in the title, but a good portion of them, yes. Yeah, uh, this one is not a pun or or anything. It just makes zero sense as a name, <laughs> but it does have Q in the title. Well, well uh, you know, hide and seek, hide and Q. So there's a connection there uh, to hide and seek, but hide and seek it doesn't really mean anything for the episode other than it being a game. Yeah, are you trying to, to draw like an old computer thing where you would have like cq as the like old chat <laughs> connection so it's hide and seek but it's hide and q even though you know it was a u not a q but sounds similar uh yeah kind of cq cq so this was uh written by the good old maurice hurley who we've talked about before because he's basically the head writer for the first part of the show mm-hmm. um made a lot of iconic parts of the series that will hit later 
Um, this episode he did not he wrote under a pseudonym because uh, Roddenberry did a lot of script meddling. You know, that whole tradition from the original series continues once again. <laughs> yeah. And the only notable guest star in this was John DeLance as Q, who we talked about in the first episode. Mm-hmm. So this this is going to happen from time to time with this yes. because we get reoccurring <laughs> characters. <laughs> yes, I, I hear he shows up in Star Trek Picard. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't. I didn't notice. <laughs> I think it was like a side storyline that didn't really go anywhere. Yeah. yeah. Also, I think there was a Damon Box skull there, but I'm not entirely sure. So okay, we should jump in because there's not a lot of backstory to this episode, mm-hmm. other than it's Q again. Yeah, so uh, well, we do have we do have one bit of backstory. Troy is not on the ship. That's true. She got written out of a lot of episodes. Yeah. To the point where there were some rumors that they were planning to like write her out of the series for season one. Yeah, there was sort of it was like oh, maybe we have too many characters. Uh, we should probably cut uh, someone. Um, Troy, I guess. Which interestingly they did for season two, but you know they did famously replace the character, but not Troy. Also, you know, Tasha got written out. But anyway, yes. that's later. But that's because of talk. her own choices. <laughs> yes. But, uh, you know, uh, Surtees uh, was, uh, you know, kind of leaning that way too. But, oh, there's like a fan culture. I can like experience that. And it's actually kind of cool. Okay. I, I actually kind of like that. You know? Yeah. I mean, we'll get into more as we go through because there's a lot of yes. troubled <laughs> stuff to talk about in the first season. But it is difficult to remember how fraught the first season of this show was given how massive of a pop culture institution it became because mm-hmm. they were essentially on zero budget the actors were pretty miserable they had to steal craft services from like neighboring productions whoops yeah yeah <laughs> it's like we're hungry and we're not going to have any food today unless we happen to stumble into this other set mm-hmm. anyway <laughs> so yeah this there was not this was not a great working environment for the first season and it was not going particularly well and no one had had the expectation that it would so the enterprise is on the route to sigma 3 colony where an explosion has caused massive injuries in a mining facility they are, however, stopped en route by Q erecting one of those force field things that he used at Farpoint, which at this point is one of the only consistent things we know about the Q, is that mm-hmm. they make these weird DNA-looking force fields. Yeah, it's sort of like these little bits and pieces that are kind of like lines that are going back and forth, and they're all like wibbly-wobbly and stuff like that. It's kind of cool, in fact, which, actually. Interestingly, is one of the things they drop like a hot rock right after this. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's probably one of those things, you know, Q is like, all right, I need to, like, let them know I'm about to show up and disrupt their whole, you know, plans here. And so they don't just continue on towards that planet. Hmm. Well, it's Sigma 3. uh, Wait, 3 Sigma error. No, we can't have that. Uh, Force field. (laughs) See, you know, like Q is all about showmanship. So it makes sense that he'd just brand his powers like this. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. What's the difference between a villain and a supervillain? Marketing. So Q appears as a big glowing three-headed floating snake thing. As you do. Yeah. Then later as a Starfleet Admiral so that they can have an actor playing Q instead of the special effect. (laughs) He demands that they abandon their mission to listen to a proposal that he has because he is interested in giving humanity its most impossible dream. Oh, uh, cool, but uh, we're trying to save some lives here. Uh, Can this this wait? Yeah, no, they care too much about individuals. Shut up. He is particularly interested in Riker, who they 
caught the attention of in the first episode. Riker's like, I have no time for games. And if Q does that, like, oh my god, someone said games? Ha ha! And whisks the entire crew, <laughs> except for Captain Picard, off to a barren, green-skied, random planet. Yeah, so, uh, you know, aka, think of any original series, uh, you know, planet, and yeah, it's basically that. Basically, which I do enjoy as a throwback, because, like, that mm-hmm. makes sense for Q, just bring them to random <laughs> original series world. It's like, we're gonna have one of these, these moments here. <laughs> They find Q in a Napoleonic getup uh, to discuss the rules of the game, which he says it has to have rules and rewards and punishments and such. And mm-hmm. fairness is a human concept. So the game's going to be completely unfair. And Tasha goes, no. And he goes, no penalty box for you. Ah. And sends her all back to the ship. Hmm. Well, uh, that's weird. Well, I guess she's at least back on the ship, right? So that means she's safe. <laughs> I guess this somehow is meant to build dramatic tension because she says that Q is basically placed the idea into her mind that if anybody else breaks the rules she will be shunted off into nothingness because there's only room for one person in a penalty box yes uh, you're you're going to stop existing because the bridge is not big enough for more than two people right now of course i guess it's on the bridge which gives tasha and card a chance to have a little chat she has a breakdown because she doesn't like being powerless and have Q with just randomly being able to kill her whenever he wants yeah tasha specifically is a character that really dislikes being powerless uh as you know kind of one of her things so q doing this sort of thing is kind of just the worst for her really mm-hmm. but picard helps her through the crisis in a very nice bonding moment that they for mm-hmm. some reason make weirdly sexual right at the end for no reason yeah it's it's like okay chill it down guys yeah it's like oh i'm here to help and like it's okay to cry on the bridge you have like you know it's it's all right there's penalty box rules etc and it's just oh if you weren't a captain it's like why why are we doing this just let this be nice damn it treat him like you know your grandfather please yeah so q arrives to end the penalty and poke fun at picard and reveals that this entire thing is a test for riker and he wants to bet that he can win riker and wager picard's command against q staying out of humanity's way forever so now they have a wager for Riker's soul, essentially. Yeah, so uh, we're, we got got one of those sort of, you know, devil's games going on here. <laughs> they move into the ready room and angrily quotes Shakespeare at each other for a bit, which Picard <laughs> wins and Q angrily disappears. <laughs> yeah, because you know, Q's like, you know, it's like I'm going to be all like, oh, how meaningless everything is. And, you know, Picard's like, well, uh, you know, sure, this one bit, you know, Hamlet was saying in like a very cynical sort of way, but I'm going to say is like a proud <laughs> statement. And I'm going to say that explicitly so, you know, people get confused, but, you know, a lot of people don't know Hamlet still. But anyway, <laughs> also, this how is like when, a god. <laughs> this is when they start using, you know, Patrick Stewart's Shakespearean acting skills because he mm-hmm. was a Shakespearean actor. So yep. this is what he's good at. <laughs> Back on the planet, Worf is out scouting and discover their adversaries are some sort of pigmen in Napoleonic uniforms with muskets. Well, that's a little weird. Yeah. That uh, would hardly be fair, you know, because their phasers could take out a regiment if they wanted to. Uh, turns out that the muskets are actually energy beam rifles. So, hmm. you know, there's that. So, uh, so, so maybe we should, like, set up some strategic ambush spots and, like, try to mow them down from a distance? 
Yeah, or they could just stand in the middle of the empty field. No, I guess yeah. uh, they they don't learn you know you know expert Starfleet tactics until later in the series. So I do know. think this is something that they they don't take advantage of later because Q gives them so many opportunities to do whatever they want. This is mm-hmm. such a like original series mixed with Doctor Who style premise. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> like random muskets that shoot lasers in a Napoleonic war. Now we should go. We should cover the war games at some point. So in the middle of being attacked, Q tells Riker that he's given them the power of the Q, so he can send them all back to the ship whenever he wants, and he does. And the ship starts up again like nothing ever happened, and the crew is all returned except Riker, who's still hanging out on the planet to talk to Q because he's very mm-hmm. suspicious that Q would have any kind of good intentions. Like so, well, what's up with your with your guy Q? Uh, it's like this is just so weird and silly, you know. I'm gonna start laughing. Here's the theme. Are you ready for the theme? This is definitely uh, a Gene Roddenberry theme. Go for it. Q explains that humans, unique amongst all sentient races, <laughs> like to grow and explore and advance. Well, um, indeed, but also that's a little weird. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. Like, humans continue. They keep doing this. Humans are the only species that likes to better themselves. Everyone else is just in a weird, perpetual state of stagnation. Like, yes, uh, the, the Vulcans have had space travel for centuries before Hess and, uh, you know, didn't really change at all until they started hanging out with humans for a lot while, so, ah. They could possibly overtake the Q themselves. Now, if they hadn't, like, later on they say some things more explicit with the Q. They're like, if they hadn't added the weird thing, they could have just had this, like, the Q are all-powerful beings. It makes sense that they would potentially reach a state of stagnation culturally because mm-hmm. they can do whatever they want. And yes. that would be an interesting way to explore how limitations actually sometimes are better for people than outright ultimate power. But instead, they always do this. Look how special humans are. I guess in uh, Star Trek Picard, they you know it goes a little bit into this sort of theme as well at a couple of bits. Even you know when you're not sort of held back by you know the rules of your world, you can be still held back by yourself, and that's one of the reasons you like want to change things in the present kind of i guess mm-hmm. yeah yeah picard season two was pretty bad that way yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> didn't explore that well at all yeah, it's, it's, it's something they, they they poked at but yeah they could have done a lot more with it but anyway <laughs> they just need like a double number of episodes in the series anyway <laughs> so q is ready to give Riker powers so that he can understand the human need to grow and change etc Riker hates this idea so Q brings back the crew to the planet, this time with Wesley, so that we can really see something bad happen. Oh, no. They're attacked again, but this time they don't have weapons. Worf and Wesley get killed, so Riker uses Q powers to bring them all back to the ship, where he's healed Worf and Wesley's wounds. You had an opportunity to t- take care of Wesley, but <laughs> guess not. <laughs> also, he raised the little force field doodahs, and Picard goes, only Qs can do that. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's it's... You were already kind of explained what was going on mm-hmm. here, but yes. So later they arrive at the colony, and Riker promises to not use his powers because he can't be tempted by Q's offer, apparently. Mm-hmm. This seems to be a thing. Like, you you will be tempted to use these powers, so don't. Like, it's going to be like a drug or something. Yeah, there is a brief moment where it's sort of like, you know, Riker wants to have a discussion about, 
you know, should he be tempted into, you know, going with this? You know, it is kind of his decision at the end. But he's like, well, but uh, I guess I'll just not use them. So they beam down to the disaster area and find wounded and dying colonists everywhere, including a young girl who Riker's promise prevents him from saving. I guess this little girl needed to die then. Yeah, so stack up one dead Ooh. kid. So uh, it's going to be awkward, isn't it? So Riker's angry with the situation in hand. He demands a meeting with the bridge staff, being so full of himself, he even becomes first name basis with Picard. Breach of protocol? Gasp! So Riker intends to start using the Q powers because he feels like he can actually use them for good and such. And mm -hmm. Picard points out that Riker has already changed because he's become a little bit of a jerk. All right, uh, Riker, you're a jerk now. Um, how about you show off your powers for everyone, huh? <laughs> yeah, they have a bit of a debate about whether you ever could use these powers for good. Q appears in monk robes to join the debate, seemingly <laughs> not realizing how little the costumes are helping this argument. But it does give him a, you know, a few moments to sort of act a little over the top. You know, it's like, I'm, you know, the blasphemy. <laughs> so Q decides that it's a good idea to give the crew a parting gift as Riker leaves with him to be do Q things. So Riker offers him all something that he feels like he knew he, they'd like with his new powers. He gives Wesley manhood, which ages him 10 years, which, like, I don't see why anyone would enjoy that, personally. Yeah, it's like, well, I'm, I'm suddenly older. Well, <laughs> I guess I just missed a large section of my life. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Like, thank you. No, I still have to, like, finish high school, right? Yeah. <laughs> Can't just say I'm now past college because I skipped that part of my life. No, this you would actually be awkward. Have, like, also, yeah. having now seen you know, grown-up Will Wheaton, as we are all used to seeing him now. Mm -hmm. This, like, weird bodybuilder dude that they use for adult Wesley is very yes. laughable. Yeah. Uh, the, the actor's name, oddly enough, is William Wallace. <laughs> Freedom! Uh, Data refuses the gift because he says that he does not want to be made human that way because it wouldn't seem real to him. Mm -hmm. Riker heals Geordi's eyes, letting him see beauty or some such. Like, he does not... Jordy does not often express regret in being blind, so it seems weird mm -hmm. how many times they write that in. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you don't really understand Jordy at all here. He's, you know, cool with being himself here. It's, yeah, so, uh, yeah, this is a little weird for him. Yeah, he says he doesn't like what the new site would cost him and asks to be put back the way he was, which, mm -hmm. you know, he does. And Worf gets a Klingon woman. That he's not interested in because it's basically a weird illusionary sex doll. Yeah. Yeah, she's basically on par with the soldiers that they're just fighting, so it's like Yeah. Okay, well, uh I guess we can growl at each other, but it's going to be meaningless and uh you know, I'm gonna come up with a weird excuse for why this is not cool. Also, Tasha doesn't get offered anything. No. No. Riker, you jerk. <laughs> And then even Wesley decides, hey, I'd rather actually not be randomly aged to 10 years. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Riker feels like an idiot for not having been able to improve his friends' lives. Yeah, pretty much. Q, having failed to tempt Riker to join him, tries to angrily attack the crew, but he's dragged back to the Q continuum because he lost his bet. Everything's reset to right after they got back from their rescue mission. And Riker sets course for their next encounter. Yeah. Well, uh, that's a thing that happened, I suppose. And uh, I guess that means we don't have to worry about Q ever showing up again. Yep, that's it. He has to stay out of humanity's way forever. <laughs> uh -huh. 
no way to find a loophole in that or anything. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> this episode is really trying to do some interesting stuff, and it, it's kind of sad that the ham-fisted writing makes it so fail on a conceptual yes. level. <laughs> I love it. It's a, it's a really fun, stupid episode, and I mm -hmm. love watching Q show up because John DeLance just choose the scenery he just loves doing this weird campy god character mm -hmm. so he is yeah. always fun in any of these episodes yeah I, i've seen him in a few other roles and you know he can do dramatic acting very well um you know but he's just having so much fun here it's just like a delight to see him work <laughs> yeah this is very obviously the new incarnation of the power corrupts narrative that we got two or three times in original series yes because you had you had so many episodes of original series where a random human guy gets god powers, becomes evil because god powers, mm -hmm. and then they have to figure out a way to kill him by the end of the episode. Yeah, and uh, so we're gonna drop a giant boulder on him. Yeah, very easy, good easy way to kill gods. <laughs> uh, or we're going to summon up the uh, the aliens they're hanging out with, and they're gonna be like, "Oh, well, we didn't mean him to like be a jerk. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, we'll, we'll deal with him now." Uh, <laughs> I think that this one's kind of interesting juxtaposing that because Riker turns into a little bit of a jerk. He gets a mm -hmm. little bit self-centered immediately, which is also weird. One, we haven't had enough time with Riker's character at this point in the series to, like, you know, nail down how different he's acting. Yes. But he does turn into a little bit of jerk and everyone reacts to him like he's out of character. So there's that. But yeah, so the, it helps convey that information yeah, well. So yeah. But the um the main point that they're actually making in this is that your powers are actually useless because you yourself you yourself are kind of inept. It's like I might have all this power, but if I don't know how to use it properly, I'm not going to actually accomplish anything I want to do. It also makes kind of an interesting side point, though probably a little un uh, unintentionally, that no like big divine gift will meaningfully improve someone's life especially mm -hmm. in this kind of scenario because he keeps trying to give them like the big gesture gift of like this is the thing that you've always wanted in life and it doesn't make any of them happy largely because that's not the kind of thing that's going to make someone meaningfully happy in life and that's an it's not explicitly stated but it's a weird one looking at the rest of the series because all of them are already happy and fulfilled in life for the most part yeah like they know, what they have a good working environment they enjoy their jobs they're working to better themselves like fee like fear and poverty and and scarcity is over in their society i i, I guess that's maybe kind of one of the reasons you know Riker didn't uh magic up something for tasha because of the character she's probably the most complex in terms of having a complicated stressful sort of uh internal life that you know Riker would have to come up with like we're going to change your entire backstory sort of gift here in order to actually get anywhere close to something that would help her and yeah they were just going to do that so well you kind of think of like genie narratives mm -hmm. like those all often don't work out for people but the kinds of things that people always want or believe will make them happy in like a genie narrative are wealth and power and health mm -hmm. things yeah, that prince things that in the universe of star trek everyone already has yeah it's like we you know we might not be princes but uh we are 
together princes of the universe sort of wait that's that's highlander anyway <laughs> like everyone has yeah, yeah. everyone has enough self-determination in this reality that they aren't trapped by a system that necessitates them needing more power in order to do anything yeah which you know is i, I suppose a good message that if you have a society that is you know uh, functional and uh, doing all it can to you know better everyone inside of it you know power kind of becomes meaningless yeah it's not even like he's he's had like anyone gets to become captain or something which mm-hmm. arguably that would be wesley's dream like you are now captain <laughs> of the starship like you always wanted which i suppose would kind of by default uh, sort out uh, the the whole wager thing you know it's like all right well i guess i'm not captain anymore says picard um uh, so where does that leave our wager? Well, I guess it's not really <laughs> applicable anymore. Uh, yeah, that could be an interesting way to handle that one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to undo this. Bye. <laughs> so instead of it being a power corrupts narrative, it's kind of a power is useless. So, you know, you know, it might have a corrupting influence, you know, as far as your behavior goes. But, you know, if there is no meaningful way to exercise that power, you know, that whole corruption deal kind of falls apart. Except the thing that they very much skip over, which is odd because it was a, it was a central theme of the narrative for about five minutes. Then they drop it completely because he can't give anyone the like random gift that they wanted. But the thing that they never actually discuss is the reason that he was upset in the first place is because he had to let a little girl die. Yep. So, uh, Riker, how about you, uh, you know, you're starting to exercise your powers uh bring that girl back yeah and then see then you could in fact have an interesting narrative of when you should use things like this Mm -hmm. right because if instead of him giving random gifts to everyone he brought back the little girl you start to have an a weird narrative like what if instead of aging up wesley he gives wesley and dr crusher her husband back yeah like Like, you start with the little girl who like you know in this story died about six seven hours ago Mm -hmm. but he also already saved wesley and Worf, who had been dead five minutes and no one questioned that so you kind of run into a thing of like yes you have ultimate power you in fact do have godlike power over life and death but how long does someone have to be dead before it should be considered permanent when you have the power to bring Mm -hmm. them back exactly uh I, I suppose there might be a uh, a thing where you know if you are trying to make the not you know a live person uh, real now and their body fully intact, you know there might be a degradation uh, question where you are in fact just sort of creating a duplicate wholesale. Uh, but if you're like pulling them from the moment of death before they die into the present and replacing them their old self with a duplicate now dead body, that's I guess less morally weird (laughs) well you run into Uh, kind of a weird issue with it and i think the main problem i was talking about this episode with a couple people and mm -hmm. there seems to be sort of this interesting consensus doing it through more modern stuff that part of the problem is the um is the unilaterally the unilateral decision making of it like, you could, in fact, have a scenario where everyone gets together and has an actual discussion about when is the right time to use these powers? What do we consider morally right and fine? Yeah. Like, saving this kid who's been dead five minutes. Yeah, probably okay. That's essentially the same thing as, you know, first responder 
medicine. You know, heck, in Voyager, they bring Neelix back after like he's been dead a day through necromancy and Borg tech. Uh, yeah. So and that's so apparently okay. You know, so essentially you run into a question there, especially when you're dealing with something like, should you bring someone back after they've died? Because we do that all the time. Yeah. Especially if someone died of hypothermia or you were able to lower their body temperature soon after they died, we have brought back people who have been dead a couple of days. Just need a little work first, and yeah, uh, and then then you warm them up. But like <laughs> only just you know technically dead because if they were actually dead, they wouldn't still be around, would they? Yeah. <laughs> you have to look at your definitions here. So you do have a discussion on like, yeah, you have godlike power, but in our conception of how things work as humans, where should the limits on that be? Because people might not argue, people didn't argue at all that you saved Wesley from being stabbed. But they might argue a little bit about saving the kid, but most people would agree that would be fine. But bringing back someone who's been dead a week, a year, five years, where do you actually draw a line on something like this? Because arguably, shouldn't you more, like if you consider it morally right to bring back someone who died because of a freak accident or unnatural causes shouldn't you bring back everyone who ever did but you can't do that yep. because that's also <laughs> hugely immoral it's like all right so uh, uh when did you die uh 19 you know 15 uh, uh what did you die of uh you know, syphilis or something like that i don't know uh, i just felt sick one day i was like all right well uh, welcome back uh this is the uh, you know the 24th century um here's your tricorder uh, enjoy okay mm -hmm. okay when did you die um how how are you able to speak my language uh, uh, universal translator well, I died in the seventh month after the eighth moon or something like that. And uh, it's like, all right, well, uh, it says here you died in, you know, 216. Um, all right. Welcome to the 24th century. Here's your tricorder. Um, what is this magic? Ah. <laughs> yeah, you kind of even have a version of that later on when they bring back all of the people who were frozen in cryogenic stasis. Mm -hmm. Which, like, of course, why would you? Like, they've been frozen and dead for hundreds of years no one blinks an eye at you bringing them back now. Yeah. <laughs> but well, why? Because episode, but <laughs> we consider it better to do that with tech. Like, if we can do it with medical science, we consider it fine because that's mm -hmm. how our advancements in medical science work. Yeah. This also, this could in fact just tie back into the point I was making earlier about limitations being the core of a human experience. Because. Mm -hmm you could very credibly make an argument that humans are simply not equipped to make that kind of moral decision with ultimate godlike power because it's not a position that any human was ever meant to be in and the very fact that we have limitations on what we can do dictates the moral framework of our own society so i guess then if there is a you know sort of extension of the the medical technology sort of you know question there or i guess answer to this question uh you know is the q powers does that count as medical technology and does that just automatically make it okay even if you know you got some weird uh, edge cases going on here well see morally the only thing that is different is the fact that you they say that they would have to do it with q powers and the only particular difference between Q powers and life-saving medicine seems to be the limitation and extent. Like, if they had showed up and found that kid dead, but they had died in a way where the doctor was able to bring them back, because in this world they can bring back people after, like, sometimes up to a couple of days, depending on the circumstance. Yes. They do it all the yeah. time. Yeah, and the, uh, the technology of the week. Yeah. 
So if the doctor had been able to bring that kid back, no one would have questioned it at all. It would be a miracle of modern technology. She would have been mm -hmm. lauded as a hero. Yes. And perhaps that could have been an interesting sort of, uh, you know, twist on the episode where it's like, you know, they, they find the kid. She's like, you know, technically dead, but she gets back to stable, but, you know, near death. And, you know, Riker's like, I could save this girl right now. But, you know, it's like, you know, 80% chance she's just going to die eventually anyway. But I could just make that all go away. And, you know, that could be a sort of interesting discussion that they could, you know, have spilt, uh, filled throughout the latter half of the episode with. Yeah, you could have made some actual moral, you know, discussion. Because <laughs> to my mind, the only particular difference does seem to be the fact that one is seemingly unlimited. Which yep. then does raise these questions. Since you have no limits, you then have to decide where the limits should be. Mm -hmm. Where in something like medical technology, right now, especially in modern times, we do have some things that we should inform people of better. Yeah, Because we do wind up in some pretty horrific scenarios. But we do have very hard limits on what our medical technology is capable of. And we tend to say, like, as far as something like bringing someone back from near death or technical death, we tend to all agree, like, as long as it's something that is within the reasonable limits of our medical technology that brings the person back to a reasonable standard of living, it's not really morally questionable. That's as a... Uh... A blip in your existence, not an end. Now, you do want where you wind up with a lot of edge cases is you sometimes can keep people in what is not a good standard of living, or you can mm -hmm. have people in a situation they would not otherwise want to live in, or sometimes you run into problems of deciding whether or not someone else's life and well-being is worth that of some of another person's, because once you introduce more than one person to the mix, you wind up with very complex moral questions. Indeed. So, but if uh, you if you strip away all of the extra stuff to just look at kind of the core conceit of the episode, the real moral question is between unlimited and limited capacity to help people. Mm -hmm. And we don't so, have to set uncomfortable moral decisions when it comes to limited capacities to help people. We say as long as it's reasonably helping someone, as long as it gives them a reasonable life after, as long as you can say you're not doing an unreasonable amount of harm, it's fine. But when you have unlimited power, like they give Riker in this episode, then you have to start deciding where the moral lines are. Indeed. If you are uh, going to be a, a, you know, you know, a a limited uh, deity in this uh, cosmos or one who is actively uh, you know intervening at every opportunity you know that's going to be really a you decision at that point mm -hmm. and you know do you you know you know keep everyone alive that is currently alive forever do you bring back everyone who's died previously do you do something else entirely or do you let things flow as they currently are and only intervene at you know sp specific sorts of moments here and you know, to wield your power uh, like this, you know, I guess in, those, in some ways kind of takes away the, the, the power from the people that are living their lives. That if you are just now forever going to be living forever, for instance, because this person has, you know, granted this, uh, you know, uh, outcome for you, you know, that's to a degree kind of taking away you know, your, your, your say in the matter in a weird sort of way. Uh, and so does there now become a discussion about all of that? You know, if someone, say, 
gets trapped in an asteroid or comet for a while, then, you know, it's like, all right, I'm out of this and uh, now I want to die. And because, uh, you know, living like that is just the worst. You know, what do you do then? Well, we run into <laughs> something that they don't want to discuss in here because it's the 80s and 90s, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but you run into a pretty understandable issue and that seems to be sort of the central conceit that they're dancing around in any of these human gets godlike power stories. Mm-hmm. Um, should one individual completely by themselves be able to define what is right and moral? And we very understandably and pretty rightly have a big red flag on that because yep. <laughs> morality is generally something that is not even fully decided. It's sort of a generalized consensus amongst a group. Yes, uh... Your, your culture, your, uh, your your people, your nation, your religion, uh, all of these tend to be more than one person making this decision. It is a consensus that has been reached and agreed to. So really what you would have to do, especially in something like this, which is a very bureaucratic entity like the Federation that we see, you would probably have to organize some votes and committees and other people to be Mm -hmm. able to set very, very hard boundaries on when these powers are appropriate and inappropriate. uh, Do you use it to uh, prevent all wars against the Federation forever? Well, okay, well, now Starfleet is kind of useless, but, you know, I guess they can just go out there and stare at stars for a while. Um, All right, well, that's that's cool, but uh, uh, how about this? Uh, Do we uh, prevent... You know, uh, pre-warp civilizations from dying pointlessly. Well, let's get some prime directive sort of stuff. Now we have to debate that, um, and so on and so forth. And you know, meanwhile, Rikers here is like, oh, I just want to like save people's lives. Come on, guys. <laughs> no, I think you like they they really do a very strange. Like Riker is just too inept to be able to use power, mm-hmm. which is an interesting thing to say about one of your command officers. Yes. Well, you know, he's still learning, I suppose, uh, which is, you know, we might be perfect in the future, but we still can learn things. But <laughs> they they really sidestep the interesting and, concept and complex moral dilemma that you wind up in with how much should one person get to decide how they use the amount of power that they have? And that's a very valid question. And you could very easily draw, you could use this episode's framework to draw a lot of interesting conclusions that would all wind up in the same place. Because, interestingly, no matter how much we endorse people having way too much power, no matter how much we keep deciding that it's fine to not limit powers of different individuals or not regulate things or any of the other myriad of problems that we have now we all generally on a fundamental level agree that there should be some limits to power because having no limits to power at all is something that always makes us fundamentally uncomfortable which is why it is used so often in a narrative device like this without those limits well what they decide to do could be to you know wish me into the cornfield and I would not even like exist enough to reject, you know, you know, object to this. So that sucks. Yeah. But even beyond that, like this person gets even if they are not malevolent, one you have the idea that they could be, which is always scary. But also <laughs> they get to decide what's right and wrong for all time and forever because they can do whatever they feel like. What if uh, you know, you've uh, you know, studied the world and learned all sorts of things and realize, "Oh, there there's a flaw in their morality." 
what do you do about that? <laughs> Which is why this episode gets wasted a little bit, because it's way more interesting to have a scenario like this where you have power given to someone who does not start abusing it and does not become malevolent and in fact wants mm -hmm. to do good things yeah. and you don't even have to make him inept you don't have to say the trying to do things will always turn out badly but we can all agree that the very concept of morality as we understand it as limited beings completely falls apart in this scenario mm -hmm. morality doesn't even apply logically in this kind of thing because it's something that we came up with to explore the boundaries and limitations that we have as human beings once you take out boundaries and limitations completely does morality even apply because he could do something completely awful and horrific that is bad and kills a lot of people or maims or tortures or causes a great deal of pain and suffering and then suddenly decide that it didn't happen at all yeah so, uh, you know, this is a thing that was experienced by someone, but the people that experienced it don't remember it now because I didn't want them to. Or so, depending on how you look at time and causality, they didn't experience it in the first place. Mm -hmm. It just never happened because a god decided to blink it out of existence. So perhaps there's an alternative uh, 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 version of this episode that's like 15 hours long of Riker you know, fiddling with the universe and doing all sorts of crazy things. But then he decides, yeah, I'm just going to retroactively undo all of that. And we're going to limit this episode to this. Yeah, you could have kind of an interesting episode <laughs> on that of saying, like, having an episode that is Riker trying to use his powers and deciding that he really can't. People should not have this kind of power and just undoing the whole thing. Mm -hmm. But I do think that that conceptually it's kind of interesting to think about because it seems like the very concept of morality that we could understand as humans falls apart in this scenario it cannot apply because there's two things that one morality is about exploring limitations which would no longer exist and two our concepts of morality and basically everything as humans assume a normal narrative causality to the way that we interact with the world which in fact would no long would not exist in this scenario because the q's godlike powers let them freely manipulate that they do not exist under the same sort of time space thing that we do though it does remind me a little bit of uh the dilemma of roko's boss uh, basilisk there mm. of a uh, far future ai uh basically recreating everyone that tried to prevent or just didn't help with their coming to be and then torturing them forever as re as a uh, as revenge uh and uh, the uh, you know the, the sort of the moral question is you know in the present is it then morally right to try to bring about this uh you know uh, uh, entity's existence so that somebody far down the line that is basically a duplicate of you doesn't get tortured forever. Um, you know, you will have no con direct continuity with this person, but they will still all the same exist and think they are you. Of course, it's a nonsense scenario. <laughs> mm -hmm. But that's interesting because why do you need to even have it be you? Shouldn't is that like isn't that the same moral question as should you do something now that would prevent suffering to a future generation you will never know? You know the idea is that well, if you're wanting to reduce suffering generally then you want to not do things that are going to make things worse for people later uh if they are you or not global warming yeah maybe they shouldn't be doing that uh but uh the uh 
at the, you know, at the same time, you know, there's also folks that are like, well, it's only about the suffering right now, and future generations have to sort of worry about themselves. That's sort of a different take on that whole, uh, you know, question. And you know, it's not necessarily one that I, you know, much appreciate, of course. But uh, you know, because you know, I still want to, I want to live forever. But you know, <laughs> so it will be my problem. But uh, you know, more seriously though, uh, I guess the lesson of it is that, you know, if you are going to have this, you know, you know, this, this infinite power here, and have these sort of like, well, I'm going to, you know, create someone, you know, to, to in a pocket you know, existence that, in the end, is not going to matter because I've written that history entirely. You know, there's still that suffering that you are creating, even if the people before and after that moment of cut out time are completely unaware and not affected by it. You are still in the end, you know, causing that suffering there. And, uh, you know, it's just sort of a different place of the timeline or lack thereof as far as, you know, your misbehaviors goes. I mean, the debate there is whether or not you consider the suffering of people who theoretically may exist later to count as actual suffering. Mm -hmm. And then how do you weigh it against the pain and suffering of now? Yeah. So, uh, which I also, you know, guess is uh, one of those things where, you you can still do things that are going to be trying to prevent that you know crazy AI later, or you know helping it depending on how you want to sort of view the uh, you know the possibilities of it existing in the first place, uh, and still do good things in the present. Yeah, you wind up with the kind of a bad scenario in which you would say we need to do things that make people suffer now because it will prevent theoretical suffering of future generations. Mm -hmm. But overall, that's kind of a nonsense argument since yeah. <laughs> generally something that would create suffering now will continue to create suffering later. Yes. So, you know, solving today's problems are usually going to solve tomorrow's problems too. Uh, alternatively, we're going to have different problems and we'll need new solutions for them. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So, uh, so, so watch out for that in the future, guys. So there might be new problems coming on down the pike. So, so that's everything that I had, I think. Well, uh, we could talk about uh, you know past problems now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because uh, we had uh, sort of a, a reference uh, going on here in terms of uh, Q's costuming of a uh, French marshal. So like Napoleonic time sort of stuff here. That's the problems of the Napoleonic War, which was colonialist power struggle largely with france trying to take over after some time after the french revolution uh arguably one of the only reasons america didn't get reconquered during 1912 yeah. or 1812 <laughs> rather Sorry. yeah yeah the uh so yeah long story short uh, there was this guy named napoleon bonaparte and he was like from corsica and stuff and, uh, and then, yeah, you know, at some point in his youth, he went to mainland France, went, went to school, and uh, eventually learned actually how to speak French because he only spoke Corsican at the time, which is like, you know, sort of Italian, I suppose. Um, so, but he still had like an accent his entire the rest of his life. So, you know, any sort of, you know, you know, interpretations of uh, Napoleon having a, a heavy French accent in movies and things like that—that's probably inaccurate. Anyway, <laughs> uh, the uh, so. He, you know, joined up with the the army, and uh, after a while, he kind of got made a, a name of himself. And uh, he's like, "Oh, I'm going to go over to to uh, fight the the Austrians now and kick their butts for a while." And then uh, we got the French Revolution going on here. He's like, "Well, I'll I'll go ahead and support this. I used to be like a Corsican nationalist, but yeah, this stuff seems cool too." 
you know, it's going to be like all like democracy or something like that. Anyway, uh, I'm going to go invade Egypt now, uh, which is sort of a, a big thing for, uh, you know, them and uh, found some sort of, uh, you know, Rosetta Stone sort of situation. Um, and, uh, you know, it's like, hey, Ottomans, uh, we're here now. Anyway, so, uh, you know, he eventually comes back to France and, uh, you know, has more you know, scuffles with other folks and sort of gets himself put into being the, um, like the first consul, I think it was, of the, uh, of the, uh, the new, uh, uh, revolutionary government. And eventually is like, okay, I've accumulated enough power and I'm now going to make myself emperor. And we're going to proceed to, you know, try to take over all of Europe. And so, uh, you know, French armies streamed out and there was lots of, you know, uh, back and forth in terms of who was allied with who and numerous coalitions uh, formed up against him to try to stop the uh, the French uh, army in their sort of, you know, you know eastward march across the continent. Um, but uh, I guess the, uh, the famous uh, sort of end to that main campaign was the invasion of uh, Russia and his grand army kind of like freezing a lot. You know, also they were out of supplies and things like that. So they got whittled down by attrition and, uh, you know, had to sort of retreat before they reached Moscow. Um, uh, but there was also problems in terms of like, uh, you know, Spain. There was a lot of sort of, uh, you know, uh, 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 guerrilla fighting that they had to deal with. And like, we're like the French army. We like have muskets and stand up in lines. What's this whole sneaking around and shooting us from the trees business, guys? Come on. And so there was like, all right, well, we're having troubles in Spain. The whole Russia business was kind of a failure. And uh, so uh, maybe we should get rid of Napoleon. The And, uh, well, they kind of exiled him for a little while. But he came back. Uh, it's like, okay, so I've been out of things for a little while. And they're like, all right, uh, here, lead an army. And it's like, oh. Hey, this Waterloo place seems kind of cool. Let's go fight there. And, uh, well, it didn't go so well for him. And, uh, you know, he got exiled again and then died. So so that's the story of Napoleon there. Um, and in the process, uh, he did things like dismantle the Holy Roman Empire, uh, which then led to the German Confederation and eventually the uh, you know, unification of Germany. Uh, you know, he beat up the Austrians quite a bit and... Uh, but they, you know, managed to hang on for a while, uh, you know, until the uh, end of the First World War there. Uh, the Ottomans were already kind of a waning power at that point. But, uh, you know, this is sort of a, it's like, all right, I guess we're not going to sort of like intervene directly in Europe much anymore. And our own empire is kind of falling apart here. So uh, and eventually, you know, they kind of broke down and, you know, became modern Turkey, um, you know, bit by bit there. Um, you know, the... Uh, yeah, the partition of Poland uh, was temporarily ended with the Grand Duchy of uh, Warsaw, but you know Prussia, Russia, and Austria kind of swept in after the uh, the wars and kind of you know re you know uh, reoccupied them. Uh, there was a whole uh, you know you know council of uh, it was like Vienna, right, or something like that, uh, where they're like, all right, well Napoleon's kind of done here. We need to like reestablish the monarchies all across Europe, and so. France kind of got king back for a little while, but um, eventually that, you know, went out of style again. Uh, and, uh, you know, then there was later Napoleon III, who, you know, was fairly unsuccessful and got himself beaten by Prussia. But anyway, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so for the English there, they're like, well, we're kind of on our island here, but if they, like, build enough boats, they might be able to invade at some point, so... Let's, like, kind of keep an eye on the continent for a while. And I guess we're also fighting the Americas occasionally, but 
yeah, we got some big concerns here, but uh, yeah, so uh, yeah, War of eighteen twelve kind of ending around the same time Napoleon, you know, got you know kicked out the first time. Yeah, it was kind of a, a useful thing for the United States. And then selling land to the United States to generate revenue. Yes, man. <laughs> it's like I need money. Uh, here, half of Louisiana. We kind of took over Spain, so it's ours now. So it's yours now. Uh, give us money. And it's one of those things where, of course, any sufficiently large historical event, when well, you're looking at it years later, you can track to a bunch of very other big historical events and be like, oh, mm -hmm. this changed everything. It's like, well, of course it did. It was basically a world war at the time. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, the Napoleonic Wars had lots of fighters, um, and the sides kept changing. And also, you know, there are satellite states, and then some of them are like, eh, we're going to not really be our satellite state anymore. And then, okay, where we are again. And there's lots of nuances there that we don't really have the time to go into the full uh, sort of rundown there, but it is a very complicated, I guess, dance of armies, politics, diplomacy, as Napoleon tried to leverage everything he could to gain maximum advantage and, to a degree, obtain that well, you know, that power, that great power, that limitless power, kind of like the Q. <laughs> <laughs> it's worked out very well for all of his exiles and trying to invade Russia in the winter. Yes. <laughs> so uh, I guess uh, Q was sort of uh, com uh, comparing himself to a uh, French marshal there uh, is uh, a bit on point uh, overall. So, uh, yeah imperialism <laughs> so that, that's what i got uh, though i do do uh, I, I i wouldn't be uh, i would be remiss if i didn't bring up a quick fan theory i have as far as q goes though mm -hmm. so i actually think this entire episode from q's perspective takes place during the episode true q yeah so uh true q is uh, an episode later in the series where uh q shows up and's like hey this uh, girl that's on your ship now she's actually the child of two other q that didn't want to be q anymore but they so we killed them anyway uh we need to bring her back or destroy her or something like that so we're gonna do some stuff and test her and teach her her powers and uh this this lady uh amanda rogers is like hmm this riker's kind of dreamy uh so my idea is that Q's like, well, she's interested in Riker. Well, maybe I can, like, lure her back to the continuum by making Riker a Q. And so he could go back to this episode, tempt Riker, and be all like, all right, well, okay, I, you know, I'm kind of doing this out of order here. So I'm going to be all like, hey, Riker, I'm going to give you some powers. And, you know, this is all a test. Yeah, that's what this is. Um, anyway, here, have some powers. I want to see what you do with them. Um, and in the end, he's just disappointed. So I was like, all right, I'll go back to true Q era and we'll not go that thread entirely. So, uh, yeah. Nice. So non-contiguous Q fan theories. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Though I guess in some ways might be, uh, you know, inspires his solution to the, to the, you know, things there, uh, to a certain degree. Well, from one craziness, we go to the other craziness. So it's time for the <laughs> galaxy's favorite game show. Hey everybody, welcome to the Galaxy's Favorite Game Show. We got several contestants this time, racking up a lot of points. And so let's get this party started. Or, what did you say, game show? Like, hmm, yes. Anyway, 
Our first uh, uh, prize to hand out to our, con uh, our lovely contestant is the Sufficiently Advanced Aliens Prize, which I feel Q is going to be getting a lot of overtime, but, uh, you know, so he gets this one, of course. But also, Riker, despite him still being sort of human, I guess. But uh, what do they win, uh, Gabwin? Q wins some more sets, and, like, he needs a different ship, because, like, it's weird to tempt Riker and then send him back to the people who are going to talk him out of it and then be so bad at the costume thing like q obviously had no intention of this working and he needs yes. <laughs> he, he probably should have just taken Riker somewhere else and then like use your powers now <laughs> show me what you got <laughs> so that, that might have been a better way to sort have of, a fun uh, q fight yeah <laughs> it's like all right, how how do the q actually fight um other than with muskets <laughs> Our uh, second prize is the Cornfield Extras Prize, which goes to the enemy soldiers and that Klingon lady for coming to existence as tools of powerful entities and then not really being existing afterwards. Uh, what do they win, Gepwin? Hey, if we're talking cornfields, they should just give them the baseball field, let them all come out and play a good old baseball game together. Mm. Make the corn make the cornfield movie with ghosts that's less terrifying. <laughs> uh, you know there's still gonna be plenty of baseball so if you're not into baseball you're gonna be you know bored to tears but hey at least there's like a klingon here so that's kind of cool um hmm. star trek and klingons playing baseball we should look into more episodes on that anyway uh to die is logical is the next prize which is going to that little girl because picard needs to win his bet and is the only logical way and you are right to kill her Riker, to let her die, despite having the power, you must let the weak suffer. I mean, uh, what, what, what does he win? Uh, she, uh, she win, Gepwin? The little girl wins being the secret surprise villain of Picard season three, because she didn't die. She got saved by medical technology, but found out that she was going to be let die by Picard to be used as a pawn, and then comes back to take revenge on the crew, because it's the kind of stupid thing that show would do. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, you know, it is ridiculous, but maybe maybe it could be fun. <laughs> Our finest, final one uh, prize says the Zoltar Grancet prize, which goes to Wesley for becoming an adult temporarily. What does Wesley win this time, Gepwin? Wesley wins some weird, I don't know, body problems. Like maybe he gets an eating disorder or something, because if you remember being an adult, that adult, and then... When you grow up, you become a completely different adult. I do not know what that does to you. Hmm. So a, a weird sort of body dy uh, dy dysmorphia there, uh, I guess. Uh, yeah, it's like, I was supposed to be this, but I'm not. Why? How? Hmm. Yes, well, uh, maybe he'll eventually get some weird uh, space-time powers and go look into it at some point. We could hope. Yeah, that's kind of a strange, strange, weird, nonsensical way for that character to be taken, but I guess. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, that's all the prizes I got to hand out uh, today. Uh, nobody else uh, got enough points, but uh, they were trying. They were trying, but they didn't have real ultimate power, like a ninja. <laughs> Take us away, Gepwin. All right. Thank you, all of our contestants, and thank you, all of us, for joining us on the Galaxy's Favorite Game Show. Uh, do you like nightmare fuel? <laughs> yeah, is it the uh, 
Is it that time? <laughs> is it is it the well, box time? I I think this is the the one. Yeah. Uh, so we do go from Troy being written off of the show to the point that she thought she was going to be dropped for the first season to a very Troy centered episode that introduces the other best reoccurring character mm-hmm. of eighties nineties Star Trek. Yes. Uh, so uh, also known as uh, Mrs. Troy. Mother or Loxana Troy. Yes, the next episode is Haven, where the Enterprise goes to the planet Haven, where nothing much happens except that Troy is going to be getting married, and that lets her mother, Loxana Troy, played by Michelle Barrett, gets to just show up and also just have an absolute blast playing the most ridiculous character ever written. Yep. <laughs> and this is in an episode with luggage that's just a face that talks to you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, this episode is very silly and ridiculous, but it's kind of fun in that level. It's so, incredibly uh, ridiculous. It is just so strange overall. Mm-hmm. So uh, I guess we have uh, that to look forward to. Yeah, I mean, it is of really dumb episodes where nothing happens. It is probably the best one of those. So, yes. <laughs> you know, uh, no moral theater presents, uh, you know, uh, Haven, I guess. <laughs> yep. So next time, Haven, where Troy gets married and Michelle Barrett gets to come back in her best Star Trek role ever. Next time on Watchers of Tomorrow. Nightmare Luggage! You have been listening to Watchers of Tomorrow, a podcast on science fiction media. Find and follow Watchers of Tomorrow on Podbean, YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, Spreader, Digital Podcast, and perhaps many more to come. If you enjoy our podcast, make sure to subscribe for more. And where possible, make sure to rate your experience or leave us a review. You may find Gepwin on youtube.com slash Gepwin and Twitter at Gepwin. You may find me, Dr. Isix, on youtube.com slash Dr. Isix and Twitter at IsixLP. Music is Waveform and Maury's Principle, both by DRKRN. You can also check out the Watchers of Tomorrow Discord channel. Make sure to share the experience with your friends, family, enemies, and alien overlords. If you feel you are suffering from transporter syndrome, please be aware that the next time you step off the transporter, that you, that is now, no longer exists. <laughs> <laughs>